0: Hey, everybody. It is Puka. Thank you for joining us on the One to Go show. It's hard to believe, but the high school hockey season is right around the corner. And with that being said, we wanted to remind you of the other podcast that Goat Sports produces, which is called the Tea with Miss McGill Show. The Tea with Miss McGill Show covers high school hockey in Minnesota. So if you're a hockey fan, jump over to the favorite place that you podcast Search the two with Miss McGill show. If you'd like to catch it on YouTube or on Facebook, search GOAT Sports Media and you can catch it there. All right, race fans, Ryan Aho and the one and only Bert Laman bringing you episode
1: number 102 for the One to Go show. So, Bert, how the heck was your week, man? Uh, good. Uh, today I I just finished mowing lawn. I'm hoping that it's the last time for for the year. Um, so uh, um, it's I wanted to get that done today because today could be the last day in the 70s <clears throat> for the year, according to the weatherman this morning, because it's supposed to drop into highs of 50s around here starting tomorrow. <laughs> Bernard, I, I got to be honest,
0: I don't like your attitude.
1: Um, <laughs>
0: we're just going to have to have a discussion about this. We're going to send you to the principal office I'm hoping we have like a whole lot more days in the seventies. Right. I'm hoping. And and if we don't at home, we can always go south. Right. We got all them races down south. We should have a lot more days in the seventies and I don't want to hear anybody ever say, I hope it's the last time I've got a mow lawn because that means <laughs> that you have to shovel snow and mowing I lawn know. is better than shoveling snow. You can race in the summer, not so much in the winter. So I don't hey, know how hey, I hey, feel about that.
1: Hey. They race in the winter around here, as long as it well, it's got to get cold enough for the, for the lakes to freeze. But uh, there's actually a strong contingent of uh, racers in this area that race uh, um, on, on frozen lakes and frozen ponds in the winter.
0: Okay. There's a little bit of that up north. I know they were doing that up by Superior Wisconsin quite a bit. I know Dave Flynn did a lot of that in kind of his whole core group there, but... Yeah, you'd think you know up in northern Minnesota where I'm from, Hibbing, and Grand Rapids, you'd think that there's enough ice up there that people be doing it all the time, but it's never really taken off up there. Years ago, they did a little bit, but it just hasn't taken off. So, you know, we got a little tradition here. Um, number one hundred two, episode one hundred two.
1: Who do you got? I don't have anybody for one hundred two. I'm
0: so gonna, gonna have.
1: I, I'm gonna have somebody in like ten shows, actually. I'm going to have two people for 111, and one of them is going to be, some people may not know this, so uh, something to look forward to.
0: Something to look forward (laughs) to. So we decided, because once you get over 100, I mean, there's not a lot of cars, 101, 102, 125, I mean, there just ain't. So we're going to transition back. Give me somebody on number two. Who's somebody that stuck out to you
1: that was a deuce? Um, I'm gonna go with uh, two people. Um, first, I will go with uh, Mike Mitchell. Uh, he he was a very low buck racer who raced uh, late models at Shanno Speedway. Um, I got to know actually, I got to know him pretty well through ice racing originally. And um, but uh, just uh, a story about him. Um, he never won a feature at Shanno Speedway. Um, it was always his goal to win a late model feature at channel speedway. And, um, he was leading one feature. He was like a half a lap ahead of the field. I mean, I mean, it was his race. There was no denying him. It was his race. And then a late race caution came out. And, uh, the second place car was Pete Parker. And the story goes that, uh, Parker actually thought he was leading the race because Mitchell was so far ahead of the field and uh needless to say uh parker took the lead eventually before the end of the race and, and won. i believe he won the feature that night
0: he's won one or two back in the back in this day i think he's maybe got three feature wins total he's won a couple yeah just other, a couple
1: the other number two i'm gonna go with is uh lowell bennett from the bennett racing family we've talked a lot about the bennett racing family um Bobby Bennett was the father, so he was number one. Lowell Bennett was the oldest child, so that's why he's number two. And uh Lowell was the I want us, he's either 81 or 82, Shadow Speedway, late model track champion. And um, he probably would have had a lot more championships, but uh it was shortly after after that that uh he made the switch to um to asphalt late model racing. And uh, several years ago, um, I asked him why he made that decision. And he said it it was about that time when the technology was getting so sophisticated that you couldn't race the same car in both dirt and asphalt. Up Up until the early 80s, you could do that. But he said he had to make a decision and he went with the asphalt racing. Probably less
0: work, and you know, you're right, that's (laughs) something that a lot of people don't realize is back in the day, you know, obviously, if you think back in the 80s and the 70s, the cars were all flat. So, I mean, they had an asphalt setup in them. I mean, even when I was running an affordable chassis in the Super, they had really, really high left side weights set up like an asphalt car, and that was very common, and and now the late models all rocked over on the right front and stuff that ain't going to work on an asphalt track for very long you might you might go through a tire or two there so i got a couple 102 carl fran now the fran name this is a gentleman that was he actually was one of the initial members of wissota okay carl fran was and he raced he had a 102 i don't know all of his numbers his his brother freddie fran was the voice of the heavy raceway actually the voice of the northland for many years but the Fran family heavily involved with dirt track racing, you know, for a very long time, especially up in Northern Minnesota, but Carl Fran on the initial board, I saw a picture on Facebook and I think that lamb put it on there kind of like a, Hey, here's a one Oh two. Cause I had no idea that Carl Fran was number one Oh two. I thought that was pretty cool. And then uh, number two, uh red Steffen. He's a guy back in the day. <clears> he, <throat> a 1983 Labor Day shootout winner in the late model class. And I remember him coming up. It was always him and Brock Nows and Leon Plank and Crusack. They'd always come up to like the Labor Day shootout, the Northern Nationals. Of course, they had the big Invitational in Thunder Bay. So I see, I remember seeing him race a lot and there's still Steffens involved in the racing community. I don't know if those are kids, grandkids, but I know they're related somehow. Somebody could maybe post on there and there's a bunch of number twos. There's a couple more 102s and I feel like I feel like I might be missing one. I think Trent Fulmer, somebody might have to post on there. I feel like he was sponsored by a radio station. He might have been 102 in the Modifieds. but race fans, when you're listening to this, if you're watching it, you know, if you can think of a number two that stuck out to you or a number 102 that stuck out to you, post a picture in the comments. Maybe post a little story about that picture you know, it's kind of fun to kind of reminisce, especially this time of year where there's not a lot of racing to be had over the next several months. Start posting your favorite drivers, 102s and number twos, and give us something here to talk about. So this episode of Forsberg brought to you by our friends out in Watertown, South Dakota, Dirt Track Supply. Huge thanks to Ron and and Trevor Anderson out there. Trevor put together a great season. So I'll post on Facebook that he's got One modified, ready to go for the Bristol dirt nationals. He's going to go back down there. He's got another one. He says I've got an open slot right here for his new arrow chassis that he's putting together. He's going to run late models. So be cool to see uh, him doing double duty next year, but racers, this is a time of year, get your stuff over to them guys. You know, have it gone through try to get ahead of the eight ball here. If you need bodies, if you need fab work done, if you need a new chassis, get a hold of them guys, they can take care of you. And, uh, Obviously, parts, they haven't been easy to come by, but they'll do everything they can to get you all squared away. So thanks, Ron and Trevor, there. But let's start with this. You know, let's kind of look back, you know, at uh, the Invitational Season recap. And really, there was only one in the area brought to you by our friends over at Vernon Racing. Of course, the Vernon family, they sponsor a ton of race cars they have for a very long time. Incidentally, uh, Berta, I used to be rivals with them. Right. Uh, they used to sponsor Darren Murado and we didn't always play nice together. Um, me and me and Darren Murado, but they sponsor a lot of guys out there, and you know, uh, they do a lot for the sport, and he wanted to be part of this deal. So we'll talk a little bit about the special that happened this weekend. The inaugural in its fourth try, the Can Am Clash up at the Law Speedway in Superior, Wisconsin. Bert, they've been trying to get this show in for a long time a long time like four years and they finally got it in and leading into it Tyler Peterson's like they, sh- they should just cancel it's going to be too cold they should just cancel I'm like I can see why you want that but did you get a chance to watch anything over in Superior I was pretty impressed um, I was skeptical because they had not raced since the Northern Nationals it was a month right and I'm like man you know when that place ain't raced on you know is it going to tear up is it going to get rough is it going to be hard on equipment what's the track going to be like and, and they really did a good job up there it was a good racing surface what stuck out to you up in superior wisconsin
1: i watched the modified in the late model features and um i mean obviously the modified feature was the feature that uh everybody was interested in because it had the most uh, riding on it and um Um, yeah, I mean, the track was in very good shape. It maybe wasn't as racy, um, but I mean, it was smooth from top to bottom and drivers were racing in multiple grooves. So it's not like it rubbered up, but, uh, um, what, one thing I noticed was, and this was in the modified feature and the late model feature, it seemed like a lot of cars were they'd go into the corners and they were pushing to the wall. Uh, that I think sobraski that was part of his problem. He couldn't keep, he couldn't keep his car down low. And, uh, there was one restart, I think with like eight laps to go, he actually, he was running second. So he had choice of inside or outside and he took the outside and on that restart, the bottom just completely opened up, but he couldn't take advantage of it. And then a few laps later, there was another caution that time he did take the low side. Um, but you know, it wasn't enough. Uh, to get the victory, I mean, he gave it everything he had, though, to uh, try to win that race. But I, I just don't think his his setup was just a little bit off. Um, you know, it, he couldn't he couldn't keep. Uh, you know, the car kept wanting to push towards the wall, and he had a hard time keeping it down low.
0: You know, I, I talked to some drivers, and that place was slippery. No, I'm thinking back when I was racing. You know, especially in my early years, Superior was never a slippery racetrack right superior was known for cowboy up hammer down big horsepower pounding the holes i mean that's what superior back in the 90s i hear people complain now about being the track was rough i'm like dude you should have been a superior in the early 90s you want to talk about rough i mean it would eat cars i mean it's horrible and now it's like this is slipperiest racetrack out there and I, it's weird, right? Because usually you see a track that's black from the bottom all the way to the wall, and you're like, "Oh boy, she's gonna take rubber. It's gonna lock down. It's gonna be a train race." And it, it just doesn't seem to do that, which is, which is surprising. I don't know what what kind of material they got in the clay or or what, but I mean, it gets slippery, and <clears throat> they're not going all that terribly fast around the racetrack, but they can move around. And the biggest thing you have to have, you gotta have overall grip, right? And you, you hear a lot of people like, well, we got to tighten the car up for the dry. You hear that all the time. We got to tighten the car up for the dry. Well, that's not really a thing anymore because you can add all the rear traction you want to add. But if that right front ain't gripping, it ain't going to do you no good. So you got to have overall balance. And you can see the cars, they really got a lot of attitude, a lot of character because they're trying to maximize that side load and get both right side tires gripping through the corner. And, and you mentioned Sebraski just a little bit tight just i mean i mean he wasn't that far off i'm talking it was that much a guy that surprised me in the mod feature dan ebert you know he was he was not as good as what i expected i think he got third in that deal but he adapted and he didn't really have a third place car because he was too tight he really had to bustle that car and uh, the story coming into that if people live under a rock There might be one or two out there that don't know what we're talking about here. So coming into this event, Tyler Peterson had a two-point lead over Shane Sabraski. Shane Sabraski, if he won the feature, national champ. Anything else happens. It did not matter what else happened. Tyler Peterson was going to be the national champ. Well, I don't know if you saw the heat spurt, but they they did a double heat format on Friday. And in the first heat... Tyler Peterson got caught up in something. And I don't know if he bent something there or what happened, but he went straight backwards, eventually pulled off. I think he got caught up in something that wasn't his doing. And it's like, uh-oh, he's in trouble. Sabrasky got like fifth in the heat, in his first heat. And I'm like, he didn't look very good either. Dan Ebert didn't look good. I'm like, wow, what's going on here? You know, the, it's not like the track was horrible. It was just they couldn't get going. And then, then they finally got it all done. And you looked at the lineup and you had Sebraski starting. I think he was like third row. Third row, yep. Yeah. And and, and uh, Tyler Peterson was back, what was he, like eighth row or something? Like? He was way back in the feature. And it's like, this is going to be interesting. And Jeremy Nelson actually got it done. And, and uh, of course, you know, his, I think that's his uncle, Jay McDonald's, his uncle builds J Car, J Car by Jay McDonald. He looked really good. He had a very balanced race car, rotated the corner well. And really did a good job to kind of steal the thunder, so to speak, and steal one from Sabraski and Ebert and all them guys. But he, you know, he's a good wheel man. He doesn't race a ton, but he got it done. But when it's all said and done, Tyler Peterson, the champion. Now, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But just a little recap on what went on there. And, And, you know, you can check out my race pass for full stats. But Pat Dork capped off the invitational season in style on the first ever late model feature winner for the Can-Am Clash. And just like a week ago, when he drove by Dave Moss to win at uh, Ogilvy, he did it again here. Man, i, I got to be honest. I think the experience won that race for um, Door both weeks. Dave Moss had a good hot hop. Dave Moss may have had a better car, but I think Pat Dor's experience, especially at Superior, got the job done for him. What do you think?
1: Well, when, uh, I mean, cause yeah, I mean, Moss was leading and, you know, door was right there, but you know, he really wasn't challenging for the lead and Moss was going in a little bit higher and then, uh, he jumped the cushion in three and four, that one lap. And that's when Dorr took the lead. And then, you know, the next lap, then Moss dropped down a little bit lower on the track. So, so yeah, you're right. I think the experience, uh, uh, played a hand in that victory for door uh, It would have been interesting you know if uh, Moss wouldn't have jumped that cushion if uh, our would have been able to get by him yeah
0: yeah for sure you know and that's one of those things one little mistake when you have somebody like Pat Dor behind you he's going to capitalize every single time and you know it's one of those things too where sometimes you're better off if you have a good car sometimes you're better off in second right as long as it doesn't lock down which it did not so if you're in the second, you can kind of search and you can move around on the track and you can kind of be strategic. If you're leading, you're kind of a sitting duck. You don't know how hard to go. You don't know where to, if the lines are changing, but when you're second, you can kind of see what's going on. And I think that played in a Pat Miller's favor a couple weeks in a row here. Um, we talked about TPO. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second, but Shane sabrasky we're going to get into him a little bit more. He got it done in the super stocks and I'm telling you, um, 100% deserving of a national championship. Nothing against Kevin Burdick because he put together a hell of a season. But I'm telling you, we'll get into some stats here on Sebraski in just a little bit. Unbelievable, Bert, what he did um, to close out the season in that Superstock. I, I've, I haven't seen dominance like that, I don't think, ever in the Superstock division. And when we get into all the numbers of what he did – I mean, it it was absolutely impressive. Um, Another guy here, so everybody knows Al Utenin, modified driver, veteran up in Superior. His kid, Brady Utenin, I'm telling you what, that kid is a second-generation driver, really his first, I believe, full year. I think he ran a little bit last year. Um, But, I mean, he really had a coming out year. He is going to win a pile of races next year. And he won uh, night one of the Northern Nationals, and then they had a deal, Bert. I don't know if you saw this, but Race XR Barry Braun. They put together a deal at the Northern Nationals on Wednesday, where they they faced off Super Stocks versus Midwest Mods, and it was two grand to win that deal. Brady Euton won that as well, and then he won the inaugural Can-Am Clash in a fourth place finish over at the Labor Day Shootout. So I mean, he's really starting to turn some heads. Got second both nights at um, on the prelim nights at the Legendary One Hundred. So he got her done there. And like I said, just the racing service as a whole in Superior, unique, right? Because something that, I mean, the Hibbing cars, <clears throat> all the Hibbing drivers for years, I'd be like, why don't you go to Superior? They pay so good. And they're like, oh, we don't have enough motor. And, I, and I'm going to pick on Tyler Kitt. He's a buddy of mine. He got a fifth or sixth in Wasota Points. I'm like, why don't you race Superior? I hate that hammer down stuff. You've been watching? Right, It's been slippery top to bottom. The Northern Nationals, there wasn't an ounce of traction on the racetrack. It was slippery here. The Hibbing guys used to always be afraid of Superior because it was so hammered down. And now, if you really watch the races, Bert, and Hibbing's not on live streaming a lot, Hibbing is sometimes more cowboy up, especially in the heat races, than Superior. Superior is that track that's shined up top to bottom. So it's kind of did a flip of roles here in recent years, but hats off to them for getting it done. And I talked to a lot of Canadian fans and, and drivers and a couple of promoters. The border finally opening up here in, in just a few short weeks. They're super excited for that. And, and as good as that event went, as good as the Northern Nationals went, they really missed the Canadian fans. I mean, that is such a big contingent at the gondek Law Speedway looking forward to having that back. So we got the fan question of the week. I knew this was coming. Tommy messaged me. He says, Fan question of the week. Of course, brought to you by Cowboy Up Racing. That's Shane Howell, the Liberty One Ride. Here's the question, Bert. What are your thoughts on the debacle at the Northern Nationals' hecking issue? We'll get into what happened here in a second, affecting the national championship in the Wasota Modified Division? <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to lay it out. I'm going to get your thoughts. I'll give i'll give kind of my perspective i guess so so here's what happened at the northern nationals back i guess the week after the labor after labor day that weekend about a month ago they had two complete shows on night one johnny broking and and ashley anderson had an epic battle i mean it was an unbelievable race Broking wins the race after the feature there's a measurement on the cross member he was a quarter inch off dq'd okay did it affect him winning not even a little bit. Is it a rule? Absolutely. He was okay with it. He got disqualified. It is what it is. Dave Kane got disqualified for that earlier in the year. So a rule's a rule. I guess it is what it is. Night two, Um, there was a great battle up front between Ashley Anderson and Shane Sabraski. As they were playing kissy face, Jody Belfi capitalized, drove by both of them to win, Really just a right place at the right time and had a good hot rod, got it done. He comes across tech Bert, and he was too high on deck height. I've heard numbers everywhere from three eighths of an inch to half to three quarter, What? That's immaterial. Okay. Minimum of three eighths over on deck height. They let him go. I don't know the, I mean, I've I've gotten all kinds of different angles and I have got a couple different varying stories on why. But at the end of the day, the facts of the situation is this. Jody melphi was high on deck. Cards. That's a fact. Everybody knows that he admits it, all that, right? They let him go. His dad's tech guy, but sounds like Wasoda maybe made the call on that deal. And they said there was a half-inch tolerance, which there wasn't a half-inch tolerance at any other race. And did it affect him winning? No. It did not. He, he, he flat out was going to win that race if he was an inch lower on the deck height. He just drove a good race and he got the job done. Didn't affect it. The problem came in though, because the night before, Johnny Brokaw got DQ'd for something meaningless. And then, of course, Jody Belfi did not. Okay. Now, here's the dilemma Shane Sabraskiberg got second in that future. The difference in points between first and second is five points. He lost the national championship by one. Okay, that might sting. Him. Okay, so there's the dilemma. Had they disqualified Jody Shane Sebraski's your national championship. I want your thoughts on that. Then I'll give my perspective.
1: Um. Well, I mean, it's unfortunate that uh, it impacted the championship. I mean, you always want a champion to be the champion without any asterisk next to it. Um, And unfortunately uh, with what went down this season, you know, there may be a bit of an asterisk next to this. I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't say there's an asterisk next to it, but there's controversy with it. And, you know, I agree with you that a rule is a rule. So, I mean, when those, when those, drivers got suspended earlier you know the other drivers should have got suspended for the deck height being too high I mean that you know a rule is a rule um unfortunately um this stuff happens not only in racing but other profession you know other sports I mean there was the year that the Saints went to the Super Bowl it was clear passing or maybe that was the year the Rams went there was clear pass interference on that one play and I mean that that cost the team going to the Super Bowl so I they mean
0: the the Super Bowl on I
1: mean, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that must have been the year the Rams went to the Super Bowl then. Um, yeah. but uh, you know, well, I remember when I was a kid back in 1985 uh, St. Louis Cardinals against the Kansas City Royals in the World Series with the play at first base uh and um, you know, that you know that had an impact um unfortunately um stuff like that happens
0: <laughs> yeah you know and, and here's the deal so i've talked to both parties and i've ta- I've really talked to all parties involved and and shane sabraski is one of the most humble individuals you'll ever meet class act one of the best drivers to ever strapped in polar opposite they're both good at what they do but they're totally opposite driving styles Shane Sabraski's that smooth momentum, dry slick, just keep that car underneath you. TPO is a bang the cushion, exciting, fun to watch. And I talked to Shane and he's like, you know, it is what it is. He goes, I I can look back over the course of the season at many, many missed opportunities, okay? I can look back at many missed opportunities where even even as recent as the Fall Classic where he led – going into the final corner, and Ebert got by him. So he's like, I can look at a lot of times, and I can play it back in my mind going, if I would have just did this, I could have won one more race, just one more race. He went through the heart of the season, and he was kind of down for a month and a half in the modified. He just was not winning races. So the season's really long, right? It starts beginning April, goes to the middle of October. All he needed to do was find one more win anywhere in there. And that's what he said. He goes, You know, we gave it our best try. We, you know, yeah. I mean, Jody's a good friend of his. You know, he never, he, everybody's aware that Jody didn't win the feature because of the deck height. Right. No different than Johnny Brokin didn't win the feature because of his crossman height. But a rule's a rule, right? So Shane's not overthinking that. He's not dissecting it, you know, and I, I talked to him. He's like, Hey, I'm okay with it. And, and that's not and not to take anything away from TPO, but he said the same thing. On the flip side, he's like, Shane should have got that win. The day that it happened, I was actually down in Madison, talked to him the next day. He goes, Shane, got screwed. He should have got that win. A rule is a rule. And his comment was, I don't want to win a championship like that. Now, he didn't, because if you look at what Tyler Peterson did from the end of August to the, you know, kind of up until October, the last couple of weeks weren't quite as good. But that that he, he went on tear. Like he was literally, we wrote him off. Like it was going to be Shane Sabraski's championship and he came out of nowhere and he got the job done. So it's one of those deals. But as a racer, as a racer, right, I hate losing more than I like. Right. And I still think back, I won the national championship in 2000, and then 04, 05, 06, 07, but in 01, I got second by a point two. And I think back and I'm like, man, he just, he dodged me that year. He sold some illegal parts online that year um, over the winter and it's 20 years later and it still stings. It still pisses me off. Right. This one's going to stick with Shane Saraski a little bit, but I think Shane's the guy that he's not going to, he's not going to point fingers. He's not going to be like, well, you should have gave me that. He's not that guy. Right now his fans, and me on the outside looking in, I'm like, you should have given that win. He got screwed, but he's not that guy because he's like, he beats himself up more than anything. And he's like, I should have done more. There's more I could have done, but man, it is super unfortunate, Bert. Um, I don't, do you think there'll be an asterisk on that? Do you think that some people in the industry are going to look at that and go, well, Tyler Peterson won, but Shane should have won. Or do you think that, that's going to go away pretty quickly because I mean, he earned it. He did what he had to do, but it's, it's kind of a rot.
1: No, I I don't think there's going to be an asterisk next to it. I probably shouldn't have used that term. Um, I think people, well, I mean, I don't even know how many people actually know about what happened. I mean, obviously our listeners know, but, but I mean, other than our listeners, does anybody even know uh, about the, these incidents uh I don't think there'll be an asterisk I mean uh I think I think it'll be forgotten pretty quick and uh you know when you look in the record books you know it, you're going to have a clear clear champion
0: and let's flip the, let's flip the script on this right it was end of the year I think it was in August there was a night over at the casino speedway where Tyler Peterson in my opinion got a terrible call there you know he was running second behind I believe Scott Ward and You'd, you'd have to make the call that's on dirt race central, but Scott Ward went around and, and I thought that Scott should have gone to the back because the contact didn't look to me like that really caused him to spin out. Tyler Peterson came from last to second. So things have a way of working themselves out, right? You know, you sometimes get a little, sometimes you give a little, that's just the way it is. But at the end of the day, your national champion in the Minnesota modified is the one TPO Tyler Peterson. And, just to really touch on quick and we're going to do another show on you know kind of breaking down the top 25 in these classes but your your national championships this year rookie cole searing kind of kind of rookie. do you consider that a rookie Bert? even though they didn't have rookie points in, in 2020 he got rookie of the year and the national championship but i mean he really had a full season well not a full season but most of a season the year before but Cole Searing, your national champ, I don't I don't know if I really consider him a rookie. Do you?
1: Um yeah, I mean, if he raced a full season last year, but just because you didn't have rookie standings, yeah. I mean, technically, I mean, technically he's a rookie because that's what the rules they decided to go with. Uh, right. but yeah, he's really not a rookie. <laughs> right.
0: And he didn't look like a rookie. In fact, he didn't look like a rookie the day he sat in cars. So job well done to him. Sebraski, of course, in the super stocks. The nightmare Lucas Rodin up and now let's break this down. So, Cole Searing, the late model, South Dakota, and then Tyler Peterson, North Dakota, in the modifies. Bert, how many Wasota modified tracks are there in the state of North Dakota? I have no idea. Rough guess.
1: Um, 10. Zero.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, that I found interesting. You know, your national championship in the mods. No, He has to travel to every single race he goes to. no home track. Um, Shane Sabrasky, Minnesota, Lucas Rodin, North Dakota, and the Midwest Mods. And then I believe, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but Parker Anderson dominated the Street Stock class this year um, from Wisconsin, Street Stock National Champion. I believe he's the youngest ever national champion in Wissota racing. Um, I think he's 18 now. He was 17, but I think he's 18 now and I think he's the youngest to ever get a national title. Um, somebody can maybe, if, if I'm wrong on that, post in the comments below. And then uh, Chad Finkbone, up in uh, northern Minnesota, in the Minnesota Pierstocks, he got his first ever national title. Um, Puka's guy, flat-billed Tommy Bowden. Tommy Bowden, I think it is. He got it done in the Mod Fours. And then Travis Olofsson, who they had a tight race coming into the last weekend, he's another northern Minnesota guy. He got it done in the Hornets. So, your national championships for Lissota. Now, any other thoughts there on the, on the K and I'm glad they finally got that show in. I think, it, I think it was an overall success. I mean, they had a, I wasn't a huge car count, but it was a good enough car count to have a good quality show. Um, it looked like the fan count was okay, better on Saturday than it was on Friday. Um, any closing thoughts up in Superior?
1: Well, I mean, it's always tough to, uh, plan a special in the month of October because you never know what the weather is going to be like and especially I mean in Superior which is way up north at least way up north as compared to where I live (laughs) and um, so to be able to finally get the showing you know that that that's really good and uh, you know it looks like I mean I'm sure it was a little chilly but I mean I think the weather was pretty good considering the time of the year that we're at. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I was glad though that there was. A, I'm
0: glad that I was able to watch it on Dirt Race Central because I was <laughs> not interested in being. It was pretty cold there on Friday night. So let's get into some thoughts on the national scene. Not a ton of racing, but of course the uh, biggest Lucas Oil Dirt Late Model event of the year down in Portsmouth, the Dirt Track World Championships. I know you watched that one. Um, you said you couldn't see much of the heat races because it was a little bit dusty. Yeah, races. <laughs> but uh, what stuck out to you over in Portsmouth?
1: Um. Well, before we get to some of the excitement that took place there, uh, I just want to make a comment that uh, Scott Bloomquist looked really racy early on in that feature. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> he hit a uh, he hit a car a back marker, or a car that was running in the back uh, spun and Scott, uh, couldn't avoid it. And kind of, I think he kind of split his car a little trying to avoid and kind of hit it. So his car was kind of caved in, in the middle on the passenger side. So, uh, I mean, I was actually looking to see, I was looking forward to see if he could keep up that pace for the entire race because, uh, he's been fast sometimes this year early in the race, but then he fades. So I was curious to see, uh, if he could stay up there, but, um, Obviously, that wasn't meant to be, uh, considering that accident. And, um, you know, everybody, well, actually, our sure bets of the week (laughs) last week were Overton, Superman, and Brandon Shepard. And um, we were closer. I mean, we were were closer. Hopefully, hopefully nobody took our sure bets and actually went to Vegas and and placed a bet, especially if you went with Puka sure bet. (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, he got lapped a hundred times. So, I mean, that didn't go very <laughs> well for him.
0: We'll talk about that in just a second. And speaking of Bloomquist, I got a question. Has it, has he had a year where he hasn't won a feature? Because he won one late last year, kind of uh, like uh, some regional local deal down, down south about this time of year. Um, But would this be the first year that Bloomquist has not won an A B?
1: possibly um yeah i mean we'd have to look at we'd have to i mean i guess if any of our listeners know the answer to that chime in i mean we did find out that uh there was another driver who won both the world of outlaw championship and the lucas championship than what we said last week and that was josh richards so uh, yeah. we forgot to mention josh richards so
0: his woes <laughs> continue my goodness <laughs> you yeah, just yeah yeah so So the heat races, they got a little interesting, right? I mean, of course, it it rained out the the first night, so they had to run a day race. And so they started at like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock or whatever. And in one of the heats, it was kind of top dominant in the heat races for a few of them anyway. The front row was Fergie on the inside pole and Brandon Shepard on the outside pole. And Fergie got a good start, and they come into turn one, and he chucked a slider on them. And I watched it no less than 10 times. He cleared them by at least a length. I had to watch it close because it was so dusty. You couldn't see, it, right? But he cleared them by a bunch. And when he cleared them, I don't know if Shepard kind of wove it up or if he just over-missed his mark, hit the marbles and pushed. But he lost, I don't know, a handful of spots on that deal, fell back, relegated him to go to a B main. Ferguson won the feature. Bert, why don't you take us through uh, what you saw happen after that after that
1: event after that heat race uh, well i mean i didn't see anything after the heat race but from what i heard was that uh and i read a story i mean actually when shortly after it took place i mean obviously on facebook that was this chatter on facebook and there were all these different stories you know that you know mark richards uh punched uh uh fergie in the car and you know, then Fergie's crew members went after Mark Richards. Uh, so I want. So I read an article afterwards, and well, uh, the Rocket House car—they always have that little mini bike thing that they drive around the pits. And apparently, Mark Richards was riding around that on that, and when Fergie pulled into the pits after the race, he drove over to Fergie's car and. Fergie says that uh, Richards grabbed the window net. Uh, Richards denies that he grabbed the window net, but apparently, through all of that, some of Fergie's uh, crew members kind of pulled Richards or jumped Richards or did something to Richards. Take the hell
0: out of Richards.
1: <laughs> and, and it's kind
0: of funny, Bert, because they said he threw a bunch of punches in the back of the head. And uh, Mark Richard, and I quote, said, paraphrase but it's kind of his quote says it's not like he hit very hard right like he kind (laughs) of they threw that into the article like like he hit like multiple times in the back of the
1: head but there was not much force behind it or something like that and so i mean you know i'm not exactly sure what happened other than what i read um but obviously officials felt it was uh bad enough on both parties that uh, both B-Shep and Fergie were disqualified from um, the rest of the show, which was really unfortunate for Fergie, because he was supposed to start fourth, I believe, in that feature. And so, I mean, that really cost him uh, more than B-Shep, because he was going to go through a concierge, and uh, I mean, he's not a regular on the Lucas, so there was no guarantee he was even going to make that feature, Um, and this will be my hot take (laughs) if this was a world of outlaw event it wouldn't richards wouldn't or uh, b would not have been disqualified (laughs) um that i don't know maybe maybe they wouldn't have disqualified anybody but there's no way that the rocket house car gets Disqualified in a World Vault Law event. <laughs>
0: no, I, I I agree. So so here's my take on this deal. Okay, is I'll watch the racing deal. We'll post it here so, on the video so people can see it. But I'll be honest with you, like Mark Richards had no reason to be mad, and and I'm thinking like it was so dusty, right? That as bad as Brandon Shepard pushed when the slider happened, I can see how he was like he had no quarter panel had to. No, I mean, it it was, he came across his nose because things happen quick on the racetrack. And when it's that dusty, you might not have a good vision of what happened. So then he, in his mind, he probably literally thought that Ferguson came in and and did that because he shoved the nose. It looked like it. The first time I watched it, it kind of looked like it. When I went back and watched them, like, wait a second, they weren't even close. So I can see why he thought that, but I'm guessing now, right? Because you notice they practiced together um, just a couple days ago down in Charlotte Rocket had a test session and Ferguson came, they talked, and they got everything all squared away. It sounds like they're everything's all good, right? But I'm guessing that after Mark Richards saw that video, he had to back come. He had to look at it and go, shit, I don't I didn't see what I thought I saw. Because he overreacted in a big way. None of this would have happened, none of it. If he wouldn't have driven up next to Ferguson's car, I mean, if he would have just been like, "Hey, it is what it is," and went back to, but but let's face it, the Rocket House car hasn't won a big show this year. They're the rate the defending champions of that event. They were in a B main. He's it's been a it's been a frustrating year. It's been a completely it was already a frustrating night because they were not even going to start on the front row in a B. I think they're supposed to start like second or third row in the B main. like you said, they weren't guaranteed a spot in the hay main. So there was a lot of frustration brewing up. And he points, he's like, oh, we've had this issue with Fergie before. I'm telling you, man, that I've seen some dirty sliders. That was not a dirty slider at all. And, you know, I talked to a few different people, Jeff Krause and, and all that. And he's like, you know, when they're throwing punches like that, don't kick them out. That's hurting the fans. That hurts the fans. These are two drivers that the fans paid money that they want to see race. Don't kick them off, fine. And if you find them, take that money, kind of like the NFL does in the NFL, when they find the players, you know, that money goes to charity. Uh Did you know that? So do the same thing here, find them, say, look, here's the deal. You guys had an altercation. We're going to find you. You start where you start. You're going to race. We're going to find you. That money goes to a charity. They can pick a charity. They can do something with that money that whole kick and i old after that deal. I, I think that was misguided. I, I, I'm not a firm believer. Of
1: that. Well, and I mean, like I said before, I mean, Fergie was the big loser in this deal because he was supposed to start fourth in the future. So, I mean, this could have cost him a good chunk of change and um, you know, I don't condone fights and stuff, but, if Richards did grab the window net or, you know, was going after Fergie, I mean, does Fergie's pit crew have a right to protect their driver? I mean, you're going to punish a driver because his pit crew was protecting him. Um, You know, that's where it gets a little dicey. Yeah.
0: And that's where they, you know, whoever initiated the deal, they should have got a bigger penalty and it was initiated by Mark Richards. Now, there's the 700 different stories, you know, people, I, I don't believe, in fact, even Ferguson's comments, there was no, he wasn't punching Ferguson. That never happened. Um, maybe when that four-wheeler made contact with them, he reached in and grabbed the window net. Maybe he grabbed the window net before. I don't know. We didn't see it. But needless to say, if he would have just not been there in the first place, it wouldn't have happened. Right. That's, that's simple as that. again and I get it. Racing gets heated. It, it just does. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're passionate about it. and All the emotions go. But, you know, I think that Lucas Oil is very quick to just throw you out, throw you out, throw you out. It's like, what, a, that's not, is it hurting the driver more? Okay, you're a race fan. You go to a race, you want to watch certain drivers. Does that, you take a guy, no, Ferguson really got hurt. He, like you said, he was starting fourth, guaranteed, I think it was two grand or Twenty five hundred or something like that to start the feature, so he lost out on that for sure. But we had a really legitimate shot to win that race or finish in the top three and make some real good money. But B. Shep, he he I'm, he probably would have made the feature, but that ain't guaranteed. He may not have because some of the cars in the B were pretty stout. You know, does that penalize the driver or the fan more?
1: Um. I mean, yeah, it, it, it penalizes the fan because, I mean, the fan is paying money um, to watch the best racers race. And if you're kicking racers out, um, you know, they're not seeing the best racers race. Um, and honestly, I do think that. It penalizes the drivers differently also because um, I think it penalized Fergie more than it did Brandon Shepard just because, I mean, Fergie, I mean, Shepard is racing the the rocket house car. I mean, you know, pretty much everything is provided, best of everything, um, you know, and you know, Fergie, you know, I don't know what his team situation is, but I'm sure it's not to the level of what the Rocket House car is.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. So at the end of the day, both of them got
1: disqualified. And uh,
0: I just want to mention a mod guy um, won the feature. <laughs> a mod guy. Um, RTJ got it done and, and really upset, in my opinion, upset the big two this year, Overton JD. Overton had the lead in that race, and it looked like it was under control. And then there was kind of a stretch of cautions there. And RTJ had an aggressive pass, kind of used the corner panel a little bit, did what he had to do, and he drove off to get a $100,000 payday. JD came from pretty deep. He got up onto the podium there, and I was a little bit nervous because you and I are tied. And I'm like, oh, crap, here comes Davenport, and Overton was leading, so we're still tied to the points. But uh, how big of an upset was that? I mean, you look at RTJ, and he's had kind of an up-and-down year. The second half of the year hasn't been great. How big of an upset was that RTJ beating Overton and passing
1: him with? I think it was, I think it was a pretty big upset. I mean, considering the season that Overton is having and well, even the season that Superman's having uh, and the fact that Overton was actually leading the race and, and Thornton passed him for the lead uh, late in the race on a restart to kind of snookered him a little bit on that, on that restart. And um, you know, Thornton got off to a, a good start this year, but then he kind of went through, I mean, r- r- is he a rookie this year or is he a, or yeah. is this his second, you know, you know? So, you know, went through the rookie lumps of, of, uh, long grueling season. And, uh, you know, this is a great way to end the season in the Lucas oil series. And I think that can, um, build on this over the off season. I mean they have a lot of positive energy going in their way now going their way now. Yeah for sure. I mean that kind of
0: that hundred grand payday that could make a season that was kind of lackluster feel like you're on top of the world. I mean that's a big big win congratulations to him. And then you know the track conditions right <clears throat> you know I've seen I saw a lot of banter on Facebook oh the track was terrible they got to do something different. I got a different spin on right so how many late model races have we seen that, like, literally they locked down early in the race? It's one lane, rubber, nobody can go anywhere. It wasn't that. It was dirty. It was dusty. It was marmalade. But you could still pass. You could still
1: but, race. I mean, they had the heat races in the afternoon, though. I mean, so, I mean, it's a little bit of a different situation. You know, it's it wasn't the normal night of racing if they would have been able to run like they normally do
0: right but i didn't think it was bad
1: you know as far as
0: moving around on the track you know i i'd rather have dust and multiple lanes right than one lane train you know where did davenport start he had to start outside the top
1: 10 right i thought (laughs) they said he started 17th
0: yeah i thought he started
1: pretty deep and i mean he drove up to the podium so Kevin Moran led the first portion of that race. And you thought that, you know, he was going to win that thing. And then he just faded like, like really fast. And I think he wound up like 15th or so somewhere in that area. Yeah. And that's a tire
0: deal, right? Because, yeah. you know, they talked about he had a little softer tire on, so he was good early and faded. And it sounds like uh, RTJ sounds like he went with a harder tire compound. And it sounds like there might've been like a little bit of a heated discussion there with his crew guy, like they were talking about tires and he's like, oh, we're going with this. And the crew guy's like, no, we ain't. And they gambled on the tire. It paid off.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it was a heated discussion, but yeah, um, you know, it sounded like, uh, Ricky said, we're, we're running the 40 and, and the guy kind of looked at him, like we are. <laughs> <laughs> and the right yeah. call
0: was made. I mean, when you get into a long race like that, I mean, that showed that tire deal is a big deal. So. Needless to say, RTJ, the 2021 Dirt Track World Championship winner over at Portsmouth. Uh, and of course, T-Mac locking up. He did that a week ago, but locked up his first ever Lucas title. But,
1: and, and you know, think about that. You know, this is RTJ's rookie year in the series. I mean, it's almost his rookie year in a late model. I mean, he has, he has raced late models in the past, so for him to, you know, make that call and his team stick with that call. I mean, that shows a lot of confidence in their driver.
0: Right. Absolutely. And rightfully so. I mean, the, the kids won in about everything, and you know, I think he's got a bright future. A lot of the young guys do with their late model racing, you know, the, the future of the national girl late model season or a series, all the different series is really bright. There's a lot of youth. There's a lot of young drivers that are extremely talented and uh, I think that we're seeing more of them emerge, which is cool, like Ashton Winger, who wasn't there, but there's another young guy that's, that's emerging. There's a lot of them. So down in Batesville, <coughs> we'll, we'll talk a little uh, IMCA stock car racing, right? Well, a couple weeks back, they had the Race for Hope, 74, 50,000 win IMCA mods. <coughs> They've been putting on some big shows. Of course, they got a 50 grand to win the topless next year, the Lucas Oil Race. And it seems like 50 grand to win is their thing down there because they have the World IMCA Stock Car Championships, $50,000 to win for an IMCA stock car. That has to be the biggest paying win in the history of IMCA stock cars. Talk about that. You got uh, I'll,
1: I'll let you do your homer call here. Excuse me. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, the $50,000 uh, came back to Wisconsin, uh, more specifically, northeastern Wisconsin. Uh, Benji Cross, who is just uh, an amazing driver, um, won the $50,000. Um, he started third row inside, but you got to remember, they started three wide in this race. So, um, you know, so it was six. So he started seventh, and he was up to second by lap two or three and it was actually a really good race through I mean the race was 70 laps long 71 laps something like that and um, probably through the first 50 laps I mean it was side by side you know bumper to bumper it was it was a really exciting race to watch and um, well they have a fuel stop in in this race which it was funny because it's like, okay, we're going to have a fuel stop. And then the announcers were contemplating, you know, how many people are going to put fuel in? Well, it's like, if it's a fuel stop, aren't you going to put fuel in? And well, they were contemplating that, well, you know, maybe some, but why wouldn't, well, they were saying maybe you won't put fuel because you don't want to mess with the balance of the car if you're running well and that sort of thing. But I mean, you don't want to cut it close and be running you know, up front and not have the extra fuel. So, uh, but anyway, uh, Benji held on, uh, probably the last 10 15 lap for more of a single file type deal. I mean, if you passed, you kind of had, to nudge the driver in front of you because it was kind of, uh, everybody's racing right on the bottom, but, uh, yeah, Benji lacrosse $50,000 winner. Um, it was interesting because, uh, he went directly to victory lane after the race and he got the victory lane and they told him, uh, you got to scale. And, uh, I mean, I've been to races where if you do that, you get disqualified. So, I mean, oh, it, really? It, yes. <laughs> so luckily, I mean, you know, they're understanding and, you know, you know, it, it's the right, it's only right. So, uh, okay. so he went and scaled and everything was fine. And, uh, Benji, I, I've interviewed Benji a lot and I know him, Uh, a little bit. And uh, he's more of a reserve driver. He doesn't necessarily say a lot. He doesn't necessarily show a lot of emotion. Uh, But he showed some emotion after he got out of the car. Uh, He was up on top of the on top of the roof and uh, of the car and, you know, celebrating so uh, great victory for him. Um, He's won a lot of money this year. And um, I mean, in a stock car alone, well, he won a $10,000 show in Minnesota, and then he won the, what was it, the King of the Creek? That was $10,000. Now he won this $50,000, uh, so that, so he's won $70,000 in three races in a stock car, and then if you add in some of his modified stuff, because he won a $7,000 race in a modified and a $3,500 race in a modified um you know he <laughs> he's, he's pocketed 80
0: grand in five you know i'd <laughs> right. be interesting to see if you did the math because let's face it most stock car races are i don't know three four hundred bucks to win maybe imc mod race four to six hundred to win somewhere in that range you know it'd be interesting to see if you did the numbers on it did he eclipse a hundred grand in, in wins yeah i
1: mean there? In a modified this year, he ran 30 races and he got nine wins, uh, 15 top fives, 21 top tens. Uh, he won the Eric Van Eyten Memorial Race at the Berg Speedway in Luxembourg. That was 7,000. He led one lap in that race. And <laughs> um, and the actually, actually the King of the Creek, he led one lap too and he won $10,000 in that race. <laughs> So he won $17,000 and led two laps in those, those two races. Uh, But he was the Mod Mania champ at the Berg Speedway. That was 3,500 to win. And he was a 2021 track champion at the Berg Speedway in a modified stock car. He ran 17 races, got four wins, 10 top fives, 11 top tens, uh, one at Batesville, obviously and won the land of 10K lakes at North Central Speedway in Minnesota. That was 10,000. And then the King of the Creek at 141 Speedway, that was 10,000. So a uh, hell of a year. <laughs> yeah,
0: you ain't going to have mama saying you can't do this anymore if you're making 100 grand and winning. So yeah, that's a hell of a hell of a season to him. And there was a caution. There was a green-white checkered finish in that one, too. You know, that's kind of a nail-biter, 50 grand to win never want that kind of money ever in your entire life. And there's a yellow with a green, white checkered, even though it was one lane, man, I can, I can just imagine his heart rate going, you know, beating outside of his chest oh, on yeah. that, you know, like hit my marks, don't, nothing screw up. Hopefully the guy behind me doesn't turn me, bank board me, whatever. But he actually kind of drove away there after that restart, right. exactly enough to where it wasn't in contention. Now I have a question for you, right? Cause the format down there, is they had three complete shows and I didn't see if there was pay for the prelim nights or not. I mean, the pay was amazing all the way through for this, for the main event, <clears throat> but they had three prelim nights and basically the first prelim night, if you finished in the top eight, that was the inside row. The next eight was, I think the middle and then the outside or whatever, some, something along those lines. And I've always wondered, right? When when drivers go into a show like that on night one, they finish back 7th, 8th, right? Somewhere in that neighborhood. And next thing you know, they're like, well, I'm going to take my spot because they had the option to take their spot or not take their spot. Now, if you get 7th on night one, you're going to start, it would be 19th in the future. The level of competition at that event I'm telling you, it's pretty darn tough to win from 19th. Yeah, period. Okay, you, and then I'll touch on why I brought this up. Would if you got seventh or eighth on night one, would you be like, I'm taking it, I'm in the future, or
1: would you be like, screw that. What would you do? I'm not a gambler, so I would <laughs> I would keep my spot. <laughs> I See, would just... Go ahead. i'd just be happy to be in the future i mean uh i mean obviously you know a lot of the drivers drove a long ways to get there so uh, you know you're i think your number one goal has to be to get into the race and then uh once you're into the race then you try to win
0: yeah <laughs> I, I, I gotta listen and I, i'm gonna give a donkey award to my buddy timmy johnson sasquatch I all, all the years that we raced against each other I'd give a lot of donkey awards for that he'd probably give me a couple as well but he got seventh on night one and, and he's a I'm telling you this is one of the most talented drivers that's ever strapped in he can just jump in anything and contend. I've seen him I've seen him jump in cars where people are like what the heck is that piece of crap and he's up in the top three like he's he's a very talented driver I was excited to see him down there but he gets seventh night one. He's like, I'm just taking it. He starts 19th in the future. Me, I'm like, I am not driving that far to make the future. I'm driving that far because I want a legit shot for win the future. You ain't winning from 19th. He had a good run. He got up inside the top 10. I think he got seventh maybe in the future from starting back in 19th. But you ain't going to win. You basically effectively said on day one, like, I concede. I'm in, I'll just finish where I finish. I'm not even gonna try to win the race because you ain't gonna, ain't gonna happen. All the top drivers are gonna be up front. It's one thing to pass, you know, get up into the top 10. It's a whole nother situation to drive by them. And how many times, Bert, have you seen where a big race like this, the prelim nights are all good. You get to the main event, it can lock down. It was kind of one lane on the bottom. Whoever had track position, if you got up in the front, you were gonna have a legitimate shot to stay in the front. Right. I look at that. I'm like, what the hell is he thinking? Why would you do that? Well, he, you know, you know, he basically told my buddy, he says, hell with it. We're going to drink some beer the next couple of days we're in. It's all good. And I'm like, we're <laughs> too competitive to do that. I'm like, man, you gotta you go there to try to win the race. Right. It don't, I'm not trying to make the race. I want to win the race. It's like how many times you've seen people get provisionals and yeah, sometimes they work up through the field, and a lot of times people that get provisionals make about four or five laps. They exit stage, right. And they collect their start check. You know, I don't know. I, I look at that. And I'm like, if you have a shot to win, if you're a good racer you have a shot to win the race, if you're going to start that far back in a situation like that, to me, I'm like, scrap it. I'd rather not make the show than starting the back of the show. I, I will, I want, I want to, win. I'm going to do what I can to put myself in the best position to win I was really disappointed that did not happen. So uh, another thing that stuck out down at that race for hot laps, kind of reminds me of the old Alan Iverson. Practice.
1: practice.
0: (laughs) Practice. We're talking about practice. There was two rollovers in in hot laps on night one. And uh, it sounds to me, and I don't know this 100%, but it sounds to me like both of them had throttle stick. Sounds like both of them one of them mighty mike Mullin, in uh ricky Lemon's ride the 99 he rolled over another guy rolled over actually exited went right over the fence or right over the wall into the fence walling for high it's only a couple feet high but he went right over it into the fence and they had to kind of prop up the fence to hold it up for the rest of the night and and uh but two rollovers and hot laps but kind of an interesting thing there with uh ricky lemon so one of the drivers uh One of the drivers that was there, Terry Phillips, was driving his other car. Yeah, Jordan Jordan Grabowski, he had to leave. Like, I don't know what happened. He had to leave. So after that, after hot laps, he went and bought Jordan Grabowski's car so that Mullen could go ahead and finish it. How did did, A, did he make the show, and B, if he did, how did he do? He did not make the show. He did not make the show? No. Nope. So, interesting deal, number one, I mean, two rollovers and hot laps. It wasn't rough. So, when I initially thought that, I'm like, well, maybe it was cowboy up. It was rough. They just hooked some ruts. But it was just a couple rollovers, which you don't see that very often. But uh, you also don't see somebody buying a car after hot laps to finish off the show. I thought that was pretty <laughs> interesting. And that's uh, kind of a whatever-it-takes mindset right there. But, uh, man, congratulations to Benji LaCrosse. $50,000 payday. That is absolutely incredible. So what do you say, Bert? Let's get into some who's hot and who's not. Do you have anything else you want to touch on Batesville before we jump
1: off? Um, no, uh, other than uh, uh, Jake Kim finished around 12th or so, I believe. Okay. Okay.
0: And he has he has a winner or two, I think, running it as a USRA car. So good to see you there. So who's hot, who's not brought to you by our friends. Over at Blue Line Brews, of course, we ain't got puka up here holding up the, the coffee. This is coffee. So Bert, get this. My mom, right? She's like, so what kind of alcohol? She didn't know what it was. She thought it was alcohol. She, she, she had no idea. I'm like, mom, it's coffee. Oh, well, I'm going to order some of that. So she actually jumped on the link and she ordered some coffee. All kinds of different brews. And, and kind of the story is, is Blue Line Brews is a company that gives that blue line, right? The thin blue line they support law enforcement. Um, injured and fallen officers, money goes back to that. You know, just a great cause. Click in the links below. Get yourself, if you drink coffee, why not support those who support us? And, and uh, Blue Line Brews is a great company, so give them a try. But who do you have on who's hot, uh,
1: Well, obviously I got to put Ben Julia Cross on there. I mean, if uh, you win $50,000 in a stock car race, you got to be on the who's hot list um also i have pat door um he you know he's just racking up once again racking up the victories once again in invitational season and um also if you win a hundred thousand dollars you got to be on the hot list so ricky thornton jr
0: <laughs> well, there you go all three good picks i had pat door on there as well um but a guy i have on there in the late model is dave Moss. <clears throat> um boy he, he started out the beginning strong like he he had a few wins to right away in the beginning of the season and then then he hurt a motor and he had like two months or so where I'm like he's just a non-factor like this dude is like I don't know what happened but he's a non-factor come invitational season he went to the sites he got 5th which is which is solid and then four straight top 2s he got second at the 100 he got he got second at the fall classic he got second at the KM Clash, and then he won the Piston Cup, the inaugural Piston Cup at Granite City. That's a hell of a way to close out a season right there in a Wasota late model. So, Dave Moss on that list. Um, another guy that I have on the list here is Brandon Overton. Okay. Yes, he got second. Yes, he got passed by <laughs> RTJ. But, Bert, I was looking at his numbers 20 of his last 21 finishes, top four. That's pretty good. Unbelievable. <laughs> and, and the other one, right, was sixth. So, in 21 straight shows, he has one show worse than fourth, and it was a sixth place finish. And that dates all the way back to where he got second at the USA Nationals in the beginning of August. So, he got basically all of August, all of September, half of October, where he has only one night he finished worse. Then fourth place. So Brandon Overton, absolutely red hot. And then Shane Sabraski in the Superstop. Now, he's still in the modified. He pulls out the season pretty strong. He was in the conversation at every race. But listen to this in the Superstop. The Can-Am Clash, he just won that. He won the Fall Classic. He won the Piston Cup. He won both days of the Paul Bunyan Stampede in Bemidji. He won the 100. He won the prelim. To the 100. He won the finale at the KRA Speedway. He won the Labor Day show at Madison. And then he, he had a horrible night in Madison the, at their finale. He got second. Um, Northern Nationals, he got a first and a second. Labor Day shootout, he got a first. Um, the uh, the fault, or the, the, I guess, the Wasota Classic in Grand Rapids, he got second. And then he had his one blemish basically from the beginning of September on was the red clay classic where he he finished uh, six, sixth but he started deep and got the hard charger unbelievable dominance to to close out the season and win the national title. So Shane Sabrasky would be my other guy for the hot list right there. Who's not?
1: Um I am leading that off with the Rocket House Car team. <laughs> Are you reading my notes? I <laughs> know huh. I'm not. <laughs> Um, and then I'm going to go with uh, Shane Clanton. Um, I mean, he's, he was, he's always been a World of Outlaw regular. This year he switched to Lucas. Um, with the World of Outlaws, you always expected him to finish in the top three, four in the point standings. In the Lucas series this year, he finished ninth um, in the standings. Uh, he, he's led some races and had some bad luck where he had flat tires and stuff like that. And then uh, rounding out my top three is uh, Kyle Bronson. Um, mid-season, he was running really well, but you really haven't heard much. You haven't heard his name since then. Right,
0: right. And he, he broke. He was running pretty good. And he broke some drive shaft, and then he broke a drive shaft. Yeah, I believe so. Yep. So I, I have the Mark Richards uh, Rocket One Race Team, too. <coughs> so, I mean, obviously what happened happened, right? But – I'm never in the million years. I mean, it was late the season before they really got their first win, before they got anything going. But th- this has to be the first year where they don't have a, a big win, no marquee wins in a long time. And uh, I mean, whether it was him or Josh Richard driving the car, don't matter. But that rocket house car team, no crown jewel wins this season. So they gotta be they gotta look at this, even though they're gonna win, though they did, they locked up the World of Outlaws late model championship. It just really because it's lack of competition in that series. That's why they won that deal. So that's a disappointing deal. Josh Richards continues to just have his woes. Did he bring out the caution where RTJ passed Overton? Was that his caution? Because he brought out one of them late cautions. I'm like, oh, of course. There's Richards, another flat tire. I mean, he. I don't know what his deal is. Like he gets flat tires more than anybody in dirt late model. I just I just don't understand it and then so that's all I got for the for the not list right now I kind of reluctantly I'll add Shane Edgerton to there because I as good of a season as he had a lot of top fives I expected to see more from him come invitational season and he just did not he did not have a run of anything during the invite season so I'll put Shane Edgington on the list as well so our picks from last week were okay looking at our notes here um, you and I are the only two that had one correct pick. We didn't have a lot of picks last week. We both had Pat Doerr. Um, I had overtake you at JD at the, at the dirt track world championship, and we're both on the outside looking in. And, uh, but Pat Door, now that puts you and I, we're still tied at 29. Okay. We're tied. And Jeff's at 20, Pete and Puka are at 16, Keith at 13. And this week, we just, we got a couple races that we're picking. We're picking um, over at Bulls Gap, the Volunteer Speedway. That's tonight, Wednesday night. Um, the, the Castrol Flow Racing Night America. We have what we're picking that race. And then we're picking the World of Outlaw Sprint Car Race this weekend. So only two this weekend for us. And, man, I, I'm going to have to get them right. Because I'm, I'm sick of being tired with you already. I need to get back <laughs> to cutting it here. So with that said, looking at Okay, sure, bets of the week. Who is
1: your lock? Give me your lock of the week for this week. Um, Brad Sweet is going to put his bad luck behind him and poor performance behind him, and he is going to be back in victory lane at Lakeside Speedway.
0: He, he's been on the naughty list, he's been on the not hot list, so that'll be interesting to see. I mean, if he does, he's in a close the championship, and let's say right now. If he doesn't, if he has another bad night, Gravel could potentially get within striking distance and make a race of this at the end of the year. Just because I like the points battles, I'm nothing against Brad Sweet, but I hope he <laughs> blows a motor on lap one and Gravel wins, so we have a battle coming into the end of the year. But not to wish ill will on anybody. Um, I am going to take the Ironman Shane Sabraski. To not just win a feature at the topless, the final race of the year up in the up in our area, but he's going to win the supers and the mods at the big O this weekend. So Shane Sabraski doubling up in seven eight. So let's get to the last lap. Bird brought to you by our friends over at Zuli Race Engines. Of course, <clears throat> Frank, a great supporter of the show, builds engines for winners. Of course, the national champion in the street stocks, Parker Anderson, and you know. This is the time of year. Get your engine stuff over to him. Get it freshened up. Get it changed. If you need a new engine, give Frank a call. It's proven winners right there, Zuli Race Engines. So, Overton's quest for a million. I got to be honest. When he was leading that race, Bert, I'm like, he's going to be a hundred grand closer. Didn't yeah. quite get it done. Uh, What do you have a number in front of you what he's at? I can look it up here, but uh
1: according according to our to the person who is keeping track for us, it's uh eight hundred and thirty-two thousand. Yeah, and that's
0: goose. That's our buddy Goose there. So
1: yeah, he's got him down at eight hundred
0: and thirty-two thousand on winnings. Now you got Vegas coming up, that's a hundred grand to win. Okay. And there's a few races in there, 10, 15, 20. Man, it if it would have if he would have won, that would have been eighty grand more because I think he got twenty grand for second. He would have been over over nine hundred. Now he has to win Vegas. If he doesn't win Vegas, it's not going to happen. But if he, man, it so now it'll be interesting. We're going to go your over under. We're going to give you this again. Is he going to get a
1: million? I'm still going to say under. (laughs) I'm still going to go over. I'm confident he's going to win in Vegas. So.
0: That's going to be the telltale sign. Big sexy looking for a million dollars in earnings in
1: 2021. Go ahead. Just before we set to record, I looked at his. He only has two races on his schedule right now. But it does say that more races will be added. Uh, But right now, he only has the um, Outlaw Final and then uh, Vegas. Yeah, I kind
0: of follow his stuff all year long. And and basically, he's never really too far ahead. And I think that's kind of his schedule, right? He's like, well, I'm going to look at what's going on. I'm going to look at the weather and we might go here, but if the weather's bad, we might go to this special here. There might be some of that going on. And that's kind of that independent schedule that he has. So we don't talk NASCAR very much, but oh man, when this guy comes to it, Kyle Larson, what's going
1: on with him? Well, he just continues to win <laughs> in the, in the nascar's top series uh he won again uh, last weekend uh one in texas um i believe he's the only driver that secured a spot in the next round of the playoffs because you secure a spot with wins and uh he's won i think the last two races so um. yeah he's in the
0: final he's, he's in the final <laughs> i think there's two races to go eight wins on the year this kid's impressive he, he really is i mean we're going to look back at this 20 years from now and be like, hey, we got to see Kyle Larson as he was really emerging. I mean, it's it's a rare, rare thing to see. As, as, as dominant as that kid's been in every aspect of the sport, it's, it's kind of fun to follow him. So the XR Dirt Late Model Super Series, um, they brought their schedule out last week. And the kind of the big talk was, what the hell is he running against the dream for? What is he thinking, right? Why would he do that? Well, great move by Barry Braun over at XR. They now move the Belleville High Beach, um race to June 13th and 14th, right after the dream. Bert, how big of a deal is that?
1: Uh, I think it's a big deal. Um, I mean, you know, some people say, well, the dream, the dream doesn't have the prestige that the world 100 does. So, you know, what, what's the big deal you can schedule against that, but it's, it's still the dream. And it's been, it's been an annual race since what the 1990s, uh, late 1990s and um, you know, at historic Eldora, uh, you just don't schedule against a race like that. I, I think it's huge because now, I mean, you're, you're guaranteed to get the top driver, the very, very top drivers at uh, the dream where otherwise it may have been it was w- probably would have been split a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, otherwise you've given them options there. So I think that's a great move on his part and you know, play a little conspiracy theory on this one you know, Tony Stewart's got some pretty deep pockets, and <laughs> obviously he doesn't want any competition for that event. Do you think when he saw that, he's like, all right, we'll sponsor your event, just get get it the hell off of ours. Do you think maybe that that was a power play by Barry to say, we're going to schedule on top of yours to see if you can get some money out of Tony? Do you think maybe some of that happened?
1: Um, I, didn't, I didn't even think of that, but uh, uh, that is a good conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that happened,
0: but you know, hey, why not? Give it a try. So speaking <laughs> about race XR, you know, they have the, they they help with the twin 25s up at the Gonda Gondekla Speedway in Superior. They just posted an announcement. They wanted to get it ahead. That event for the 2022 season is going to be Friday, July 22nd, the night before the month of money race, which is five grand to win down at the Cedar Lake Speedway. So um, Lucas Oil MLRA. they had their season finale this past weekend, I know that you got to watch the end of that one, tell us what happened there. Bert.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it, great racing there, I mean, one thing on the show we've talked, like earlier this year we talked about the World of Outlaws series and the Lucas series, which has the best star power, and um, and to be honest with you, I really don't care about star power out. I would go to any of these races in Northern Illinois with, with this contingent, the Midwest drivers, because they put on a hell of a show, uh, definitely worth the price of admission. And, uh, I mean, it looked like Brian Shirley had that race in the bag, and then there's a late, uh, there's a late restart. That, I don't know, with like five laps to go and hecking was coming on the high side and, uh, Lost the race by about three quarters of a car length, and if that race would have been another lap longer, uh, Heckmanas would have won that. <laughs>
0: and he wasn't even in second on the restart, so he had to pass a couple of guys to get there. He was charging up top. That was at Tri City over in Granite City, Illinois. Tony Jackson Jr. crowned the champion of the Lucas Oil MLRA C- series. Now, not a lot of racing going on this weekend. There's a couple of things going on though. Up in Bed- Bedford, Pennsylvania, they have the Keystone Cup for late models. Each Friday features Saturday, twenty-five thousand to win up there. With not a lot of stuff going on this weekend, can we? Who's some guys that you might expect to see up in Pennsylvania?
1: I mean, I would think you'd see like Ziegler and uh, uh, Yeah, Yeah. We will we,
0: well, do you think we'll see anybody other than that? Do you think you'll see like a guy like Brandon Overton say, Look, it's 25 grand to win, I'll go up there? Um, do you think you'll see any, you know any regional guys? Maybe, uh, oh, I know Dennis or Junior's not going, he's going a different direction, but it'll be interesting to see if they can pull anybody from out of the area up there, maybe pull in like a Devin Moran or Hudson O'Neill or somebody right. like that. It'll be interesting to see now, Florida. Is having the richest dirt late model race of their seat of the year over at the Altec Speedway, 26,000 to win. Bert, it's crates, it's crates. Okay, so now I saw a post uh, Jimmy Owens and, and uh, Kyle Bronson both have a ride to drive for somebody in, in look alike cars. But what is your thoughts on? the biggest paying race i mean you you got the whole winter nationals down there right you got all the races in the winter nationals but the highest to win race is a great late model race what is your thoughts on that
1: i mean obviously the promoters must think that they can make money um i mean there are some big paying crate races i mean let's not forget aj Dima won fifty thousand dollars racing crates so uh right uh you know drivers can make you know there are some high dollar crate races and i mean there's a slew of crates down in that area as far as i know so a lot they got a lot down there it's big down there and that's why i mean in northeastern Wisconsin, they they tried uh, doing crates, but they just couldn't get enough crate cars to um, to make it work. You
0: know, here's a question. So first of all, is that a slap in the face of super late model racing? Right when you when you have the Lucas Oil Series, the World of Outlaw Series, they come into town. You got the Southern All Stars. You got all them races coming into town, and they're getting 10, 15,000 to win. But hey, we're just going to go ahead and pay the crate class twenty five thousand to win. Is that a, or twenty six thousand? I should say. Is that a little slap in the face? Do you think the 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 big you know the traveling late model series should be upset about that? Going how that why why are we getting paid like that? There's there's a lot more money involved in that. Do you think they should be upset about that?
1: Um, I don't necessarily know if they should be upset about it but i'm sure it crosses their mind <laughs> i would
0: have to think so so that leads me to this question okay so speaking of a sort of late model racing and we've talked in, in depth about this you know kind of imploding from the outside over in eastern wisconsin you got the dirt king stuff going on over there over in you know the western side southwestern south or i guess southern south dakota you have the uh, tri-state stuff going on but you look at the engine rules for a Wasoda late model, okay? And they're they got their, their concept or their spec motor, which is basically you can run it in Wasota events. Yeah, you can run Tri-State and, and Dirt Kings, but you, they got all kinds of different options. Now, this is this is kind of an interesting question. Should Wasota look at a plan over the next few years, phase it in where they transition. From like their current late model engine program completely scrap that all together and go specifically to a crate deal like like they have down south
1: I don't think so
0: <laughs> give me a reason why sell sell me on
1: um it seems like I mean I don't know if it would be the case in western Wisconsin and Minnesota but like in eastern Wisconsin crate late models were considered to be a lower class than you know the Wissota late models um it just didn't have the same prestige you know fans really oh it's a crate car it's not it's not a late model; it's a crate car. Let me let me let but, me ask you this:
0: So you're a diehard fan; you know the difference. But casual Joe Blow that doesn't know the difference between a street stock, a modified, and a late model—do they know the difference?
1: No, and I see. I think well, and I think that was part of the problem, Um, particularly with Shano Speedway. Was they were running with so late models and fast track crate late models in the same program so you'd have one set of late models come out for races and then later on in the show you have another set of late models come out for races but the cars look basically the same and yeah I mean it's confusing the fans because they don't realize that it's the tires and the motors you know that are the big difference between the two divisions
0: so I got a little spin on this, and it's probably not going to be popular, but that's okay. I'm, a, I'm not afraid to ruffle a few feathers. If I were a late model guy, if I were a Wasoto late model guy, I would welcome that. I'd be like, you know what? If it's a three-year phase-in where we can use our stuff up or whatever, pick, a, pick an amount of time that makes sense for everybody, or or over the phase-in, you got to take the, the current engine program and they got to limit it, put restrictors on it or whatever, Right. I would like to see it transition to a crate. And here's why. I I like the idea, okay, and I'm not saying everybody travels, but A, I like the idea that if I have a a car that I can race all over the country, that appeals to me, right? You look at this 26,000 win there, Bert, there is numerous opportunities throughout the whole season and during the winter where they can race for 10, 15, 20,000 win in a crate late model division, there is zero opportunity to take a Wissota late model anywhere else other than your Wissota tracks to race for any significant money. Even with the the tri-state series, I think their biggest paying show is like twenty five hundred bucks. Right? That's, it's not it's not that big of a deal. The the Dirt Kings, I think they got a five grand to win deal down at Mississippi Thunder. I think is their biggest payday. Um, they might have another one over in Eastern Wisconsin. Now. I like it going like look, okay, the season's over up here, there's no more late model racing, but look, hey, we can go on a family vacation now in the Tennessee, race for 10 grand to win. We can go over here, race for 15 grand to win. You have a if they transition to crate late models, all of a sudden you have the Wasoda one hundred ten grand to win. Pretty soon you're pulling in crate cars from other parts of the country. Right? That that stuff appeals to me of of more opportunity right? It look, it's way more opportunity. And people are like, well, that hurts the engine builders. Well, a lot of them late model guys aren't ordering their engines locally anyway. There's a lot of them guys that are buying their late model engines from way out in the area. Yeah, there's some in the area, but there's still all the other classes. I like the opportunity that presents kind of like the IMCA deal. Um, <coughs> John uh, Lackman, we call him Mod Chaser. He posted, I believe there was In the top 10 at that IMCA stock car feature, there was nine different states represented. Nine. And I I just wanna point it out, Minnesota had two in the top 10. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Minnesota represented, they didn't win, but Wisconsin won, so he still won. But that appeals to me, right? You start looking at these invitationals, these big specials, that would open the door. and, And quite frankly, you know, the, the crate engines are, are cheaper. I don't know how much, you know, because you, you're still going to get them for action. You're still going to do your thing. But I the part that appeals to me is when you see a 26,000 win race down south, you're like, well, I can't bring my Wasota car anywhere. But I could go down there if I had a crate car. I don't know. I, I kind of like that idea myself. Now, I don't like the idea of having crate late models and late models on the same night. That makes no sense. It's kind of like B-Mods and A-Mods, one or the other. But I think the racing would be just as good um, as it is now. And In fact, most tracks, I don't think it would make a difference. You get superior, as slippery as it was, some guys probably be faster with a crate. Some guys probably be better, you know? So that's something to think about right there, you know, opening up the horizons to where our drivers, if they have cars, they can travel all over the place.
1: Well, Um, the – only way that would work is everybody has to buy into it
0: exactly exactly so Bert you have the agenda in front of us in front of yeah. you so <laughs> you're gonna have to lead the way because my phone has kind of died and I did not plug it in so um, next, on, I know next on the agenda on the late models I do know this a little bit of late model news for you and Puka because you're late model guys so two of the top guys in the Super Superstock division Kevin Burdick, who got second and won the national championship a couple of years back, Dave Flynn, they sold their super stocks. It sounds like they're making the transition to fat tire cars in 2022. So that, that's pretty
1: exciting. Yeah. And uh, somebody else made their first laps that year, Lake.
0: They did. They did. The Herman Town Hammers kid, Cade Nelson. So I was surprised to not see Daryl Nelson at the Can Am Clash because Superior Speedway is his home track. But he was down there. I believe they were maybe down there for some. I don't know if go kart racing was happening, but they were doing some two seater stuff. And of course, Cade Nelson, who is a third generation uh, racer who's running the go karts now, Daryl's kid. He made some laps at the Cedar Lake Speedway. Sounds like he turned some pretty good ones. Uh, the future's bright. There's your third generation star right there. He's gonna. That kid's gonna turn some heads. No different than Buzzy Adams' kid. Um, he's going to be transitioning into the big cars here
1: just a little bit too yep and earlier in the show we talked about how uh you know superior and some of those tracks in the north they need the the border open so the canadians can cross but uh, the canadians are racing they don't need to come to the states to see racing they do so up in thunder bay uh you
0: know, the, the vision, right, they they got a brand new track up there, the Dairy Queen International Speedway. Of course, the founder of that track, he, he passed away um, not too long ago, maybe a month or two ago, and that track is now gone. You know, they have a board and a, a driver by the name of Rick Simpson. He used to race. I raced against him. He's a general manager up there, up in Thunder Bay. So it's going to be pretty interesting. They're going to race Wednesday nights, no different than Riverview Raceway did back in the day. They're going to run on Wednesdays during the season. And the uh, old late model guy up there, Bert, I don't think you saw the news. I think you see it on the agenda. But Joel Kreiderman, who is a legend, is going to be back in action. Sounds like he's going to run with Soda Modified full-time in 2022. So welcome back, the the northern gentleman, Joel Kreiderman. I'm excited to see that.
1: Yeah, I, I'll be excited to see him back in a race car, even though it's not a late model. <laughs> right, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the season's winding down, and we have one final race left this year, yeah.
0: The uh, over at Ogilvy, they got the, the topless nationals, of course, national points is done, so this is a non points race. And, and if you look at Ogilvy's website, they kind of opened it up to like any different sanction, you run your own rules type of deal, no roof, no sail panels on it, so it's a top, the topless um event over at Ogilvy. No late models, sorry Bertha not having late <laughs> models, everything else at this one, but uh, like I said, my my lock of the week, Shane Sobrasky is going to get a pair of
1: wins this weekend. All right, and that leads us to our must-see events, and I'll let you lead us off, uh, bring us into that.
0: Yeah, so uh, the first one I'm looking forward to is a cash full night in America over at Bulls Gap. That race is going to be good, you know, over at, uh, what, at Volunteer Speedway, it's a ring down there, it's a, it's a high-flying track. Sounds like they got a pretty good feel of cars. That's tonight. And, uh, man, you're going to have to give me a couple uh, – give me a nugget there because I don't have my notes. I don't have them in front of me because my phone died. Oh.
1: well, you had number one, uh, the Woo Sprints at Lakeside. Yes, yep. I, and then you, you how can Taps- you not
0: be a fan of the world of us sprints, right? And they had a weekend off, and they only got so – it's kind of a weird deal. Bert, how, how weird is that they have a standalone show? Um, Just a one regular ten grand to win show on the weekend. Well, kind of? I mean, to me, that's like poor scheduling, right? They travel enough. You'd think that they put a couple of shows back to back, but it is well, what yeah. it is. But I'm looking forward to that one for
1: sure. Yeah, they have that show on Friday, and then they don't race again until the following Friday.
0: Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Then what else do I got on
1: there? Uh, and then you have uh, Why Why Not Motorsports Park, Meridian, yeah. Mississippi, fifty thousand. Yeah, Dennis Herb Jr. won that race
0: last year. I think he held off uh, Turbo to get it done. So down at Meridian, Mississippi, Why Not Speedway, the guy that, uh, wait, I raced against him um, in a modified, the the owner or the, I think he's a promoter or the owner of that track, and I don't have his name in front of me, but I raced against him down at East Bay. Rodney Wing, that's what it is. So Rodney Wing, the general manager down there at Why Not, in uh, pretty good racing down there. And with so little late model racing going on this weekend, can we expect to see a pretty decent car cone at that one, or do you think some people are just going to take the weekend off and get ready for for Charlotte? What do you think?
1: Um, I I mean I think some drivers will just take the weekend off, but uh, depending how far away their shop is or they live from that track, um, like I mean I would expect you'd see Kay Dillard there, and you know uh, some of the drivers that live closer in that that area yeah and that's on
0: flow so you'll be able to watch that heat's friday feature saturday what is that 120 is it 25 or 20 15 15 I, yeah so hopefully we get overton to a couple of these races right because we <laughs> want to see him get. I'd, I'd love to see him get to a million i think that'd be a great story so with that said bert what are you what races are you looking forward to this weekend
1: um, pretty much the same as yours, just kind of in a different order. I have the Castro Flow Racing first, and then the sprints, and then why not third? Um, okay. There's there's not a lot to choose from, so our <laughs> list is pretty close.
0: I'm pretty interested in that crate deal. I really am because I, I honestly I expect going at Alltech. I think they're going to be 80, 90 crate late models down there. They're going to have a pretty good field of cars and. You know, when you look at some of the drivers that are going to be in that one, I didn't even have it on the list. Jimmy Owen's going to be there. Right. You're going to have Kyle Bronson. Of course, you're going to have the magic man, Mark Weitner. You'll have him down there. So you're going to have some really talented drivers. And plus, there's a lot of regional guys that are good in that crate stuff down there. That race will probably be pretty good as well. So um, I'm assuming you're not going to any races. It'll all be online here this weekend for you.
1: Correct. I'm, I'm probably done going the races for the year. Um, so yeah, everything's going to be online for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. So no more racing this year for me in person. Well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe, maybe we'll get down to the gate. We'll, we'll see as we get a little bit closer to that. That's, that's always a possibility, but uh episode one two in the books and fans, like we talked about, put your comments in the section, you know, in the section below, give us your comments, give us your thoughts, you know, that deal with uh, the national championship, of course, in the modified is a little bit controversial, but, you know, not to take anything away from TPO. If you have a 102 or a number two that comes to mind, put that in the comments below. Give us your thoughts on the late model deal, right? You know, look at it from all different perspectives. You know, would, would late models transitioning to crates be better overall for the sport, right? Think about that. So with that said, episode 102 in the books and you know we'll be back at her next week of course off this weekend here we're gonna have to pick on him a little bit for uh hanging us out to drive but we still love him but um enjoy the show glad we got to sit and visit racing a little bit we'll be back at you next week a production of goat sports media llc